0: Need a quick hit of Marketing Smarts inspiration? Here it is. We have lifted portions of our Marketing Smarts episodes for those of you who need a quick jolt of marketing savviness right now. Refer to the description for how to find a longer form version. And with that, here it is.
1: And today we're going to talk about the value that comes along with setting the right company mission and then living that mission at your very core. We get tons and tons of questions all the time about how to translate the more foundational branding elements and then use them in real life or execute against them or make them part of your everyday business. And we know overall this is how a company's success is impacted. So this episode provides clear examples on how when it's done right, it will ultimately lead to financial success, which is, of course, the ultimate goal of any business.
0: All right. But before we're going to get started, we're going to actually define company mission just so we're all on the same page. So your mission is a statement that declares the impact you plan to have as a result of coming together, whatever that looks like, whatever your team looks like. But fundamentally, it answers the question, why are we here? And the biggest mistake businesses make when they're trying to address this question is they make it too internally focused and make it all about them. And this is likely an element of it, but most of your mission statement should be externally focused on what impact you plan to have on the people you're engaging with. And this is because people, frankly, care more about what you are going to do for them than who you are. That generally comes later. So just as an example, let me give you um, our mission statement here at Forthright People, which is to leverage our 35-plus years of experience to always be of service in enabling businesses to become savvier brand builders and marketers while building the teams and infrastructure to support them. So let me just break that down really clearly, because all altogether, it definitely says why we're here. But to leverage our 35 years of experience, that's the more internally focused part. It gives a little bit of our credibility, Right. To always be of service and enabling businesses to become savvier brand builders and marketers is all about the impact that we plan to have. This is what we want our customers to take away and our clients to take away. But then we add a little bit of juice on the end, which is building the teams and infrastructure to support them. That creates a little bit more of a differentiating factor for our business and saying, we're not going to love you and leave you. We're going to set you up for success. Yes, and that is a
1: perfect and very near and dear example. Um, And also, not to just pack more into this episode, but we also have a guest today to help speak to this very directly from his success. So Mark Patchett is the founder of Growth Shop, and this is something that he lives day in and day out, is really surrounding his company and, and foundationally building it with the mission always in mind even to the point of extending it all over the world, very literally. So, Mark, would you like to introduce yourself?
2: Sure. Howdy, howdy, everybody. Great to be hanging out with you guys this evening. So, yeah, as mentioned, I'm the founder of Shop, originally from Sydney, Australia. Then I shifted over to London, I think it's about six years ago, and and now currently in Ukraine. I think we'll probably cover lots of different bits about uh, the business, but the, the high level of what we're trying to do. With grow shop is to build brands uh, smarter faster and happier which is how can you build amazing brands that have a positive impact on the world really quickly while everybody inside the company can confidently say it's the happiest they've ever been in a job so i loved your mission by the way i loved your mission i, I think yours is, yours is more succinct than ours uh,
0: but,
2: <laughs> uh, but yeah we've, we've got the the overall direction of it is is very close to us and very clear that I, I like your wording
1: well i mean building something around happiness, how much better can you get than that? So, yeah, no kidding. There you go. <laughs> yeah,
2: uh-huh.
1: Okay, so this is going to be a fun one. Um, with that introduction and all that setup, we're going to jump into the four steps to building a company mission that leads to business success. The first one we have here is utilize the passion of the founder to answer the question, why are we here? So Anne did a good job of setting that up in the definition of the mission and reminder that this is meant to be externally focused. But it does have to start with the founder, the person creating this company, this mission, this brand. You know The expression, if you build it, they will come. That's what we're talking about here. So the role of any founder is to pour that passion into developing a mission of a company that will compel other people to join that mission and live it and love it as much as the founder does. So, but specifically in striving to answer why are we here? This is really about getting from that starting point to the mission. So what do you need to ask yourself? Well, what have you seen and done in the past that tells you this is worthwhile? What's in it for the people that join the company, the clients you'll serve, and then the end consumer if there is one? You really want to make sure that you're not focused simply on what you will make or provide or what service you offer. But really, what do you provide on a deep emotional level that, again, that external audience ultimately is going to want. Your employees too, but we're really focused on mission, so external. This needs to be much bigger, therefore, than a personal passion. This is the entire mission that will be embraced by everyone that comes into contact with you, your employees, your clients, the competition, your customers, a whole landscape of people and products and services and resources that the world has just been sitting out there waiting for. And The other part about this is we talked a lot about passion, but the other thing is you really need to make it clear as well so that it is compelling. You want it to be something that's really easy for people to get on board with and internalize quickly. So they immediately respond with, I want that or I want to be part of that. And when you have... A community of a lot of people that have that feeling, whether internal or external, they're going to want to work more diligently and collectively with you and be a part of this because they feel such a part of something bigger than themselves, which is what that, that mission ultimately delivers. So, Mark, I'm going to stop talking with that setup. I know you have a lot of personal uh, points to make and, and really discussing how you developed the brand of Grow Shop and ultimately its mission
2: yeah plenty to talk about it it's it's funny being on the show because i'm used to just listening and i'm just getting kind of engaged just cruising along and then anyway, and mark i was like oh shit i'm on this thing uh,
1: so, so mark's the fan there ladies <laughs> and gentlemen
2: and now i was going to say now we're in 3d but we kind of it's not even 2d isn't it it's the audio <laughs> dude. uh so the 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 smarter faster happier so yeah loads loads we could talk about here but the the values that we built this company on well I guess I built the company on all came from having different experiences and I think it takes battle testing what you like and what you don't like and what matters to you and what really doesn't matter to you uh to get there and I've had I've I've probably worked with over 200 different businesses you know whether agency or in-house and the things that stood out were, were more the people were more the bosses that I had where I was like shit you kind of defy what I thought would be possible. The company is going through a really, really hard time. We're going through a cash crunch, but you're composed and you're showing these leadership abilities or this, this kind of this leadership core where people still feel like they're, they're part of this mission. So I was like, why, why do you have that level of comfort that you can give people versus other people when nothing's actually really wrong? And you deliver something to a client and you know one of the pixels is off and they're losing their shit. I was like "Fuck!" <laughs> so I, I started learning a lot about different patterns uh, of what i liked and what i didn't like and then a lot of this really stood out when i started working with venture-backed companies and you start experiencing this very very weird dynamic where you've got this core and i think this is a really important point to get across as well where you can have your mission and you can have your values and everybody can be aligned inside the company but if you give away too much of your company too soon mm. and you lose a controlling share Then you may have people that control you that don't share your values that can actually call the shots. I was like, this is not fun. We really really care about what we're doing here. And with this company, we're helping independent boutiques. But then investors can come in and be like, yeah, I don't really give a shit about these people. I care about hitting my numbers. You guys need to do stuff that you might not agree with in order to give me what I want. So I was like, wow. So a lot of this evolved into Smarter, Faster, Happier, which was... How do we build brands in such uh, an intelligent way that mean that we're self-sustainable and we can get the brand to a level where if we take on capital, it's used to fuel growth and we're not giving away things like voting rights?
0: Yeah, I, th- I think that is so critical because you just explicitly explain why an inspired workforce is so important, right? And and how it could crumble when you start splitting it off into different pieces, because um, we get into these mindsets, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later, about the need to hit the PL, hit the bottom line. And we seem in the moment to want to sacrifice some of these um higher order values in our mission in order to be able to do that and really making that choice, it, it could really be detrimental. And I think people really underestimate the value that comes from creating that mission and then really establishing the right culture underneath it in order to be able to really deliver something that's bigger than yourself. Yeah. And Mm. I I, yeah. And I think that VC piece,
1: too, um, you know, I hadn't really thought about it the way you just described it. And I know we even talked about it in our our previous conversations. But that knee jerk or, you know, you smell the money right (laughs) coming and you're like, okay, I'm just going to go ahead and do it. And then you sacrifice so much more when all of a sudden you're like, wait, I don't have control over that anymore. And the subsequent just demise, I think that can happen.
2: Yeah, no, totally. And I think what's what's interesting here as well, like if, unless your values are illegal or kind of very grey, mm-hmm. I think everyone has their own right to have their own value system, really. So it's like if you're if you're taking money of someone who's like absolute objective is just the cash and they don't really care about the the values that you have, then that's kind of on you. It's either on them for not being transparent or on you for not really. Um, digging into it deep enough because they've got every right to do that it's kind of like uh, a deal with the devil you know yes. what I mean if, <laughs> yeah uh, which is okay and if the devil's like this is the deal and you take it it's it's really on you so I think it's not only about having this value structure it's understanding that it's not just internal it's not just to your customers it's to anyone that's going to come into contact with your business
1: mm. exactly yeah. very well said All right. And that leads actually quite nicely into our next point, which is hire people that share your common values and are committed to the mission only. Now, we did not say here the right profile, the right experience, the right skills. We're talking about cultural fit and the aptitude to get on board with what you're doing versus direct skills and experience. So, Are they passionate about what you're doing, that core mission? And then do they have the ability to learn whatever it is you do in support of that at the company? And then also, I think that they have to have a lot of personal values that align with the values of the organization. So do they have a strong desire to grow? Are they self-motivated? You know, Are they going to do right by the company at the end of the day? Are they really truly on board to what we're talking about at that very fundamental level? And I think too often we just see companies do the opposite of that. And Mark, I think you and I bonded on this when we first talked, but the idea of hiring someone because they look good on paper or they have the key experiences and training that you think they need and then all of a sudden they show up and they're just fundamentally not a fit for the organization. And then just what ensues is distraction and, you know, the needing to kind of remedy the situation. It takes a lot of attention. So really, we want to make sure that you dig deep and that you find the people that are truly, truly connected at that visceral level, like we said. And if you do that right, then that authentic mission goes out into the world and is received by those customers in exactly the way that you want them to. It's no longer the sole responsibility of the founder of the organization, but it is the lifeblood of the organization. And the other piece, just as a caveat, and then I'm gonna let Mark <laughs> make some comments here, but taking the time to find the right people. And I think that's why some of those situations happen where people hire the wrong people and then have to fix the situation, that actually takes a lot longer. So be patient, really, really, and truly seek them out. Keep making sure that you're holding true to those values you've built of the organization. And just know that that hard work will pay off much more in the long run than continuing to hire people because they're there and they happen to be free.
2: Oh, yeah. I completely agree. And this is one thing where even when you know it, when people are like, high slow, fire fast. Mm-hmm. You, mm-hmm. you still don't do it. You know what I mean? You, mm-hmm. There's still those situations where it's almost like spreadsheet type decisions, which is like, all right, we need this function filled out. Once we hire this person, even if they're 70% as good, it will be 70% of the deliverable. It's just not like a person that's only operating at 70% of what you need nope. is going to end up being in the negative. It's like yep. eh. I was like, ah, oh, I did it again. Shit. <laughs> so then, um, I, we built lots of different uh, models, and the, we've got an amazing head of people, Ria, and the different senior people in the company have all contributed a lot to this. It's like, how do you how do you hire people and have consistent weights? So we we pulled it down to three things that I learned from Naval Ravika, which is cool. So it's it's hiring based on intelligence, and it's based on energy. Uh, and then it's based on essentially the the integrity of the person. Mm. That's like that's that's all good. It's like all right, you got these three things. Yeah, sure, that person sounds shit out. It's like how do you actually test it? So we we tried to drill it down a little bit more, and then we came up with a profile of what like an A plus person has, and we broke it down into these three things, which is ideas, execution, and communication. So that's that's essentially if you think about what a really really A plus person is, they're coming up mm-hmm. with really good ideas. They're actually making sure that those ideas get executed and they're communicating in a really effective way upwards so the founders and senior people know what's going on laterally so the people that they're working with are learning and then downwardly so that people are actually learning and improving. So we, we have a cultural fit interview first, which is either yes or no, mm-hmm. and we just go with our gut. We go with our gut, but we go with two different guts. So even though everybody is aligned within the company, with anyone that's been through, like our success rate is actually really, really good, we have the kind of yin and yang. So we've still got the person's like bigger vision, which is me, and then there's other people in the the team that are are effectively critical. And they're like, what about that? What about that? So we actually interview them separately Uh. based on cultural fit, and we meet in the middle. And when we combine our two guts, we've never been wrong, ever. Mm -hmm. That was the first thing we did. Where I used to do all of the interviews in the beginning. I'm like, they're going to be amazing because I'd always just see the best in all these situations. But, (laughs) uh, and now I gloss over it. But then what we do is we move through. uh, We we have a more junior person even interview the more senior people because we caught people out here. We've got people who would suck up to the senior people, but then they'd be really rude to the junior people. Bang, gotcha. Get out of here. Anyone that is even slightly rude, take a hike. Uh, then the last thing we do, which is, which has been pivotal is we do paid challenges. So we take an example of what we want them to do in the first week or two, and we pay them depending on the seniority of the role between $500 and $1,000 and we keep it vague and we say, all right, we want to improve this. So you do it at a level that gives them enough information about the area that you'd want to fix. That's it. That's it. And what's amazing is you see some people give you one page back and you see another person do the 30-page doc. We've had people even go out and pay for research on the back of their Whoa. own pocket and then come back for it, which is, which is something I did to get a job. I built a training course and built a website as my job submission. So I was like, what happens if other people do that? And then you, you make, it a, make it vague so that they determine their own standard. And it's not set by you because somebody's self-set standard is ultimately the way they're going to deliver themselves to a company.
0: I mean, that is um, a pretty phenomenal because you're you're now screening for people who actually want to be there, too. So you found a way to be able to quantify that, which I find pretty impressive. Um, how, how does that like transition? Was they transition into um, your company, then how do you see them perform going forward? Do you feel like they just did it in the moment in order to get the job? Or do you find that's pretty consistent behavior as they get more acclimated?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. You can usually tell. And the, the telltales are the extras that they didn't need to do. And we, we try and have this ranking, which is on Delight. And we try and do it with like our clients, which is what's all the extra shit that they never expect you'd get. Usually if people are coming up with these these kind of ideas of delight that they didn't need to, they've got enough drive to continue doing it. But you're right, we'd, we'd still see some kind of good presentations, but then you'd interrogate them a little bit. And you could usually see how much someone cared about their work like are they delivering it to get a job mm-hmm. or do they care about it because they've got their own self-set standard which is just to deliver excellence so you're right you could get you could get like a good presentation but it's it's the passion that they have talking about what they discovered
1: how do you feel like it works then from a teamwork standpoint, like as they become part of the team, great if they can deliver on their own, right? In that interview process, or they're doing that project or whatever, but how do you know whether or not they're going to fit on a day-to-day basis to get the work done with their teammates?
2: Mm, That's a tricky one. Good question. We haven't had too many issues with it i guess because we're getting one of the other things is just nice people Ah, like we mm -hmm. yes we've we've had we've had people that have have come through that are so good like technically Mm -hmm. you you know when someone's presenting to you and you're almost a little bit scared and you're trying to like check your shit and then
1: oh yes then i was
2: like yeah then i was like oh yeah yeah buckle up uh but they were, they were a dick.
1: <laughs> I was so sad because
2: it took so long. They're just a bit of a dick. So that, it didn't, that didn't work out because we picked it. They wouldn't be very nice. But you're right, testing the teamwork thing is really tricky. I guess if, if they're intelligent, they've got high integrity and they've got good energy and they're nice, it should fit. But mm-hmm. you never know, do you? It's like how could you test that? I guess you could do like workshops. You could test how collaborative people are, mm. maybe. What do you think?
1: Well, I mean, I think the adding on the word nice really to me m- says that they're going to put forth the effort with the team in my mind. Like, I think that's a good balance to intelligence, energy, and integrity because I like those three things, but then I feel like what you do and maybe it's part of the initial process, right, where you get started and you do that cultural fit one, but the nice piece to me says more than just nice but they're they're pleasant to be around and they are amicable in the way that they act so therefore mm-hmm. i would feel like they would be willing to be part of a team. Now, I guess that doesn't answer for the fact of whether they work well in teams. I don't know. Anne's giving mm-hmm. me a look. I feel like she's waiting to speak, <laughs> so I'm gonna let her go. jump on. The, um, go oh, Yeah, my, go. my turn
0: yet. Okay, so <laughs> no, no. Um, I I think what I was gonna say is that it, it also becomes the expectation of the leaders, right? Yes. So it's a it's a, what you guys set up and what you guys establish as the leaders to say, that it's great, you know, what you've done, but this is a team environment here. We work collaboratively as a team. Team, you're not going to be a lone ranger. You're go- not going to work in a silo. That's the expectation, and that could be teased out for sure as people like react to that in their body language. And you can kind of t- you know tell too if um they like engaging with people. Yes, right. So yeah. you could be nice and not like engaging with people at Said all. Said better. Right? That was what I was yeah, trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> and so I th- I think that's the thing that you, you you also set the expectation. And when you set that expectation, if people kind of like cringe and they kind of you know make some some poor um some poor moves on that stuff whether you can pull out, then I think that gives you a really strong indication that, hey, um, they may be a really great lone ranger here, but they're not going to be maybe good at, in the team environment, and we're going to have some some issues with them.
1: Mm, there we really go, Anne. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. Bringing in the goods, Anne. Some gold, gold. <laughs>
2: so I've got two other ideas. Okay. Let's, let, here we go. Let me know what you think of these. So one of them that we have, and I think we talked about this on our, on our intro call, is the aligned KPI structure. Mm-hmm. Which is how do you how do you stop the finger pointing between the design team, the people buying the media? Uh, it's to realize that it's their deliverable isn't something that you then take and ship. It's that everyone who has any contact with the project needs to be there from the beginning working towards one goal. So mm-hmm. for us, it's it with one of these brands, it's increasing revenue while holding like efficiency metrics like the amount you pay per customer. We used to not in this company, but in other companies, it would be finger pointing. Creative was shit. No, the media buyers are shit. Blah blah blah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, all right, we're not going In anywhere. There. Here. Let's yeah. let's let's shake this one up. So then we're like, all right, well, you guys, you guys all contribute to this goal, yes or no? Yes. Okay, cool. So you and you all know things about achieving this goals that the others don't know. Yes or no? Yes. Okay, cool. So do you think it would be useful if you all work towards one goal from the beginning and you all get collaborative buy-in from the start? then you start shipping things out. So as soon as we started doing that, people like, oh, well, what about this? And I, I never thought about that, Dave, that's so smart. So then the result was amazing because people are using collaborative intelligence instead of just shipping stuff. So I, I think asking people about those types of structures could be interesting, or it could be, ah uh, you no, know, I lost that idea. I'm trying to get at how do you challenge someone's interest level in collaboration without having them collaborate with people? Like Mm -hmm. what if you're just hiring for one role? I guess you could do work. Could you do workshops with people maybe if it's part of the interview process?
0: Well, I think there's also, you hit on a good point and we talk about it all the time too, is that if you're going to have a highly effective team, you need to set a goal that's bigger than any one person can deliver on their own. So that's the other thing you can also tease out with that is like you put some goals, like what gets you more excited to work here? It's like, would it be this goal, which is like a big goal. Like we want to um, generate like a massive amount of impact or we want to deliver like the best, like, piece of content ever you know so you kind of mm. kind of see as like do they get more energized by the bigger goal which means they're be they know they can't deliver it on their own they're gonna be part of something bigger than themselves or are they gonna be very satisfied with delivering something that's very much insular to what they can deliver on their own so that might be another mm. way but we talk about that all the time that's mm-hmm. a really great point
2: yes. yeah that's really interesting and i think a lot of that comes down to leadership's perspective on what's good or what's bad yeah so one of one of the things that we have with with the smarter faster is that our goal never actually ends because there's no, there's no end goal of perfection because you're always trying to do it smarter Mm -hmm. and faster. There's new technology, there's new types of people. So I think the reward should never be that this succeeded or failed. It's like, did we we learn something?
1: Yes. And if
2: we did, and the thing is if you didn't learn something, then you didn't structure the hypothesis well. Mm -hmm. So there's never, there's never really losing. There's, there's kind of scaling or there's learning. That's really it. So I think that comes from the bosses because if the bosses Uh, encouraging people when they're learning then the finger pointing also stops
0: exactly that's a great point still need help in
1: growing your marketing smarts? contact us through our website forthright-people.com we can help you become a savvier marketer through coaching or training you and your team or doing the work on your behalf please also help us grow the podcast by rating and reviewing on your player of choice and sharing with at least one person now go show off your marketing smarts